podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, soon to be 14, then 12. Assuming OU and Texas stick around when the new teams get here, and at this point I'm kind of hope that they do just for the sheer insanity of forcing both Oklahoma and Texas to travel to both Orlando and Provo in the same season, because that would be funny. I'm sorry, Texas and OU fans, like, just deal with it. That's, that's the reality you live in. Uh, I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, with me, as they always are on Monday, and I say always with like a small asterisk for the occasional Mondays where they take off, uh, Andy Metz. Yeah, I, I feel like always is fine. You know, there's an exception to every rule. So, yes, for sure. But yes, it's great to be here. And JSJ, Jamie Steyer Johnson. Yeah, gotta gotta sacrifice the rest of our lives. Everything must revolve around our hour-long podcast. <laughs> That's it, baby. The That's look on your time. face, Philip, right now. Look, look, we like our introductions like we like our ad reads. Just random and, you know, weird transitions. Out of control. I'm happy to be here. That's the energy I'm looking for. All right. We got a lot to get to today. Quite a few things. Let's start on the men's basketball side of stuff. Uh, here's my big question to kick things off today. Texas Tech getting a huge win in Austin in an estate in an arena that had more burnt orange than I thought they would. However, if uh, some of the, the Twitter stories are to be believed, Twitter, Texas like pulled in a bunch of students and then kicked them all out of their seats because they'd sold those tickets to Texas tech fans. Look, 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 look. Chris Beard said that no students would be turned away. He did not say that they were going to be allowed to stay in the stadium once they got inside. And yes, oh, I did man. steal that joke from someone on Twitter. I don't remember who it was. I apologize. Wonderful, beautiful. Just, a, just that is that's art. Is this art? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, set the fun of that. Congrats, Texas Tech. Sorry, Texas. Chris Beard gets swept by his former assistant and former team. Uh, Texas Tech is now ten and four on the season. Um, they have four games remaining, like most of the teams in the Big 12 do. Most have four. There are a few exceptions, and we'll get to them in a few minutes. Uh, Baylor's at 10-4. and four. Texas Tech owns that tiebreaker. Kansas is at 11-2. So here's my question for you. Give me a percentage chance that somehow, someway, Texas Tech wins the Big 12 regular season. Is it is it actually possible at this point for them to do that? Or is there just too much ground to make up? Are you are you talking outright or a share? Sure, share is fine. That's still winning. Okay, they're still gonna hang. Was, you can hang half a banner. I was gonna say, I think that I think that there's definitely a good possibility for a share because Kansas does have to play Baylor and Texas. Those are two games that I could see Kansas losing. Um, especially when you think about the fact that yes, that that Texas game at home, but they're coming off of a three game week with two of those games against TCU. Um, you know, so it's gonna be it's gonna be like. It's going to be tough. They have to have a lot of different things go their way. Um, you know, and I mean, Kansas is playing a rivalry game against Kansas State coming up on Tuesday. So, you know, there's a lot of possibilities there. But that also means that Texas Tech can't slip. And as great as they're looking right now, you know, they have a couple times this season slipped unexpectedly that kind of put them in the situation that they're in right now. So I, I would probably give them, I'd say, probably about a 30% chance. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Like, you you have no margin for error personally, and you need help from the team ahead of you. Like, and not just a game's worth of help, like a couple games worth of help. And so is it technically possible? Sure, yeah. Do I think it'll happen? No, I don't think so. I don't think that they'll be perfect and that Texas drops not one but two games. I mean, like, five percent i don't know it's not likely at all yeah i think i'm more with jamie Here, here's the problem for texas tech that you know we can talk all day about how they swept baylor and they swept texas and they went they had a, a an amazing shot by uh ochayabaji away from sweeping kansas as well and that's all great but the problem is their loss is coming at kansas state at iowa state at oklahoma like the, they're all road. Every every loss for Texas Tech is on the road. They've got a couple of road games, 
at TCU and Oklahoma State, who you'd say, well, they should, look, they've got Oklahoma at TCU, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State. They shouldn't lose any of those games. Shouldn't is true, but like yes. emotional letdowns happen. Other teams have big days. I mean, they got they got thumped by Oklahoma on the road. Yeah, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that those next three games for them are against teams that are very desperate right now. Oklahoma, yes. TCU, oh, yeah. and Kansas State all need a big win, a big marquee win to try to make sure that they stay in that NCAA tournament picture. Um, so, yes, while they should be favored, and, and you know, like you look at Ken Palm, not, none of those games are they expected to have less than a, like a 67% chance of actually winning them. Like they're heavily favored in all of those games, but these are some desperate teams that are going to pull out all the stops to try to get a win. And Texas Tech is a marquee win that you can stick on your resume and say, hey, look, we can play with them, you know, put us in the tournament so we can try to make some noise. I mean, and for OU and Kansas State, like you're looking for a season sweep. That's not like we haven't seen good teams get swept by not, not so as good teams. good teams in the past. Okay. Um, I think my biggest thing before I even talk about what Kansas has left is can they go undefeated the rest of the way? Absolutely. Should they? Probably. Will they? I'm only going to give about a, I, I, I'll give it a 75% chance, but that's just because two games on the road against not terrible teams, four games left, as you mentioned, three teams who are desperate. I mean, OUTCU Kansas State are either on the wrong side of the bubble right now or sitting on the edge of it. TCU's been losing games, and we'll talk about what they've got left in a minute. Oklahoma's on like a 7 of 8 or something like that. Like Kansas State's desperately trying to claw their way in amongst a bunch of other bubble teams. Like All those three teams are desperate. It's a very good point. So on the flip side for Kansas, they've got a two-game lead, but they're one of the teams that has five games left to play. Like I said, most teams have four. Uh, West Virginia and Kansas have five left. TCU has six. We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, Kansas has Kansas State at Baylor at TCU, TCU at home, and Texas. I'm not saying Kansas can't. I think Kansas loses a game the rest of the way. And 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 they could lose two. But you need Kansas to lose two games and Texas Tech cannot lose another one. It's a lot to ask. Again, I, I'm not going to put it at 0%, and I'll put it at a higher percent than Jamie. I'll put it at about 20%. But that's a lot to ask if you're Texas Tech sitting there going, we have to win these last four. And they they know what they have to do, but you just came off of the biggest week you've had in a long time by beating Baylor and getting to go to Texas and get that win in Austin. Like you're going to probably have a little, you might have a little bit of an emotional letdown at this point. And it wouldn't be shocking. If they they win, then great, good. I think Mark Adams is a good enough coach, we've seen at this point, to keep this team rolling. But Texas Tech has lost enough games against teams that they probably shouldn't have lost to to feel concerned. And what Kansas has left, like I feel Kansas is going to probably outright win the big 12, but Andy, I mean, your thoughts on what they have left on the schedule. I, I, I think I would be shocked if there's not one more loss left in them. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that both of the, the big games that they have left, you know, the game against Baylor down in Waco uh, and then the game at home against Texas, like theoretically the only one of those games that they quote unquote should lose is the game against Baylor down in Waco. But we've seen Waco have, or we've seen Baylor have issues down in Waco. Like it's weird to see them not have the home court advantage against some of the other top teams that you would have expected. And so it's definitely one of those things where I'm not really sure. Like you can't really take what happened in Allen Fieldhouse, you know, like take too much from that because it was pretty obvious. Baylor was having probably one of their worst days of, of the season and Kansas was having one of their best. So, I do think, though, that Baylor's probably the game that they lose coming up this next Saturday. But uh, that that game against Texas, look, Texas is is one of those teams that will jump up at times and really kind of surprise you. And sure, Baylor Baylor, uh, could potentially have some some say in getting Texas angry enough that they could come in and get the upset now in Fieldhouse, you know, if if Baylor was to beat Texas prior to that. But I'm actually, where I'm looking at a potential surprising loss would be against TCU. Because they have those two games against TCU, and we've seen it multiple times on the women's side, where it is really tough to play the same team back to back inside of a single week. You know, there is a lot of stuff that has to go on there that can cause a lot of problems. And actually, Kansas had to do a quick turnaround against TCU last year as well, um, and it didn't. It wasn't fantastic for them. Like they had issues in that second matchup against TCU. So I'm fully expecting that Kansas is probably going to struggle somewhat against TCU in one of those two games, just knowing that they have those two back to back. And the, I mean, like, I, I take a little bit of comfort in the fact knowing that the second game is at home for the Jayhawks. So it's not like it's a, 
you know, you can whoop up on him at home and then have to immediately go and face him again on the road and have to worry about that potential. But Kansas has definitely has plenty of places they could slip up and they have shown at times that, you know, they don't necessarily, I wouldn't say that they don't take everything seriously, but they have odd lapses at times that can make things more difficult than they, than you think that they should be. So that leads me into my next discussion. Big 12 coach of the year feels like there's a few different candidates. Andy, before we lead into the two that I think are the most obvious two because they were named as two of the 11 finalists for the Naismith Men's Coach of the Year Award, Bill Self was not. Is Bill Self one of the Big 12? Should, should Bill Self be among the finalists for the Big 12 Coach of the Year? Or is this a two-horse race between Scott Drew and Mark Adams? To be honest, I don't even think it's a two-horse race. I think there's a clear winner. But I, I think if you're going to look for more than just the one to talk about the finalists, it is unfortunately one of the things that happens with Bill Self that, you know, avo- or makes it so he doesn't get be He's not deemed as eligible for these awards nearly as often as he probably should because you look at what he does, you know, what he does. and it's, it's, it's the Nick Saban effect. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like everybody expects him to be good in the year. And, and let's be honest, people talk about coach of the year and exclusively talk about what do you do coaching in season? Um, they don't include recruiting as part of that typically, which yes, Kansas definitely has some advantages in recruiting, but I think Bill Self still does a really good job of getting guys to come in um, and then meshing a lot of those guys that they have. Um, I personally probably would not have him as my big 12 coach of the year this year, just given what some of these other coaches are doing. But I, I definitely think that if you're going to create a short list that has more than two people on it, like if you're going to have a third, it's hard for me to argue for anybody over Bill Self for that third spot, at least. Uh, because of what he's had to do, what he's had to deal with, with injuries and guys not performing well and shuffling and doing all this stuff. And yes, he's got a loaded roster this year, but guys haven't really been living up to the expectations for them. And he's still found a way to, you know, have them two games clear in the loss column right now in, in the Big 12 play. So so as we mentioned, two Big 12 coaches among the 11 for men's coach of the year, Scott Drew at Baylor and Mark Adams at Texas Tech. Um, I'll ask you both and, and Jamie, I'll let you jump in here as well if you want. I feel pretty confident in saying Mark Adams should win. And I think most non-Baylor fans will agree with that. I'm going to pl- I'm not taking the Baylor side so much as the devil's advocate to this. Um Scott Drew and I had some Texas t- I forget what graphic it pointed out of of basically the teams that have had num- percentage of like starting minutes missed this season and Texas Tech fans were like we missed Texas Tech had some guys miss early in the season because of NCAA stuff they haven't dealt with the injuries like Baylor has in conference play Baylor and injuries this year have been just just a a, like sewn together uh, at the hip and so for Scott Drew and Baylor I don't think they're in the Big 12 title regular season race at this point because they don't have the double head Texas Tech has the double header or the head-to-head, whatever. But what Scott Drew has been able to do, despite the number of injuries to the to the number of players that matter for this Baylor team, I think is significant. And I think there's a little bit of, as you mentioned with Bill Self, like, we know how good Scott Drew is. He just won a national championship last year. Like, you don't get as much credit with doing this kind of stuff as you do, say, a Mark Adams, who came in and nobody had expectations for, first year at Texas Tech as the head coach. And look what he's been able to do. Now, I think with Mark Adams, it's not like you just pulled a guy in out of nowhere and he was the head came the head coach. It's a guy who was already at a program, had an established relationship with the program, had a lot of guys stick around in the program, and was able to bring some new guys in. I don't think Mark Adams becomes a first-year head coach in another university and is having the same success there he is here. Not because he's not a good head coach, don't put those words in my mouth, but because of a unique situation that he was able to kind of take over in. It's not to knock what he has done. I think we are all very impressed by the job Mark Adams has done. And I don't think, and I think once they swept Texas, it was pretty much locked up to me. But I do think there is a valid case of, we do this in a lot of things where the underdog guy gets the award because no one knew this was coming, which, you know, for legitimate reasons. But sometimes just because someone's already been known to be good, the things and the challenges that they have dealt with are almost more impressive than what they've already built. Yeah. I mean, kind of to that point, like this Texas tech team this year 
is not significantly different from Texas Tech last year in terms of the way the team was run, the kind of sets that they run, the stuff that they're doing, right? Like the main difference is the people. But the program looks a very looks extremely similar to what it was under Chris Beard. And that's because I honestly think that Mark Adams had a much bigger fingerprint on Texas Tech these last few years than most people want to admit from outside of the organization. And so, yes, like he was in a very, very good position to be able to succeed. But kind of to your point, the, the Big 12 Coach of the Year is the who overperformed expectations the most award and not necessarily who did the best job coaching this year. I mean, yeah, maybe it's that way on the men's side. <laughs> on the women's side, it's mostly who won the conference for better or worse. So, you know, that it, and that's not a hard and fast rule, but I don't know. I don't, I don't follow, like, the, the awards as closely on the men's side, so I don't know what the pattern has been. But, like, if I were talking about that on my side of expertise, be like, well, it really depends on how it all shakes out here in the end. And obviously these last few games are going to have an impact on any coach of the year race. But, I mean, I think that the arguments are there for both Baylor and Texas Tech. It's really tough for me to pick a side on that because obviously you win a national championship. Like, how do you not have really high expectations the next year? But I don't think expectations were quite this high and especially like you said philip you know you you face some adversity during the season that's really tough but there is also a learning curve of being second in command to being in charge those are two very very different jobs and i can say that with a lot of confidence because i've seen Uh it you know my mom's the associate head coach and she i mean she was thrown into head coaching a couple of games last year when coach fen was out so it's very different it's very different when it's over the entire course of the season and so you know just based on my own biases and knowing what goes into it i would say tech you know give it to him but there there's i mean there's there's arguments to be made both ways, like I said, but I think that stepping into that head coaching role is extremely difficult, even if you have been at the school, to keep everyone in line, to say, you know, I'm in this new role, you have to treat me a little bit differently, I have to act a little bit differently, you know, I I now have to have a more holistic view of what's happening, I don't get to focus on maybe this one game and, and take turns on scouting or whatever, you know, you never know how one staff handles it, but like at Iowa State, I know they take turns scouting games and stuff like that, and the, the head coach has the overview of all of them, and that's a really different role to step into, so to perform like this in his first year, that, I mean, that's really really an accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, and, and really, I, I don't think anything that we said was to take away from what Mark Adams has done this year. I, no, I, you know, no, I don't right. think so. I, I just think it's one of those things, too, where, for better or for worse, the the best data point that people can use to try to say, oh, this guy did a great job coaching, is that he did so much better, or his team did so much better than people expected. And so, whether that's yeah. because the coach actually did something phenomenal, or because they had a bunch of players that actually just were better than people expected or because people completely misevaluated the league. Like those are all potential reasons why a coach could, or a coach's team could outperform expectations. Um, I definitely think it's a lot more of Mark Adams was a phenomenal coach this year. And I think he rightfully deserves to win it because you look at the record against the other top contenders. It's not like he, you know, skated by um, and is like keeping them in the race, but they're not having, really good games. Like some of their best games came against the other top contenders in the league. And it's been absolutely phenomenal to watch it. And so, and they haven't shied away from any big moments, but Jimmy, I will say on, on the women's side, it's kind of hard to not give it coach of the year to the team that wins when the team that wins usually wins by four or five games in the last few years. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of those things. I expect it to, to be a hotly contested race for, for women's coach of the year this year. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's not even a question. That's it's crazy on that side. So Mark Adams, I think we feel pretty good about that. Um, I do want to do a bubble watch for a minute, and specifically this. Um, look, we talk about Lenardi's stuff a lot for very good reason. There's a really high percentage. Here's the deal with the Lenardi. For those who don't, who just don't, who kind of pay attention, like his percentage of getting the seedings right is pretty low. His percentage of getting the teams into the tournament that actually make it is really, really high. Like he usually only has like one, maybe two misses a year. No, he's he's had a pretty Andy's. But but to be fair, 
Most bracketologists have a very high in terms of the number of, or the actual teams that get in like that. And, and that's, that's where I think most of the misconception about bracketology is. It's not, it's usually to, to know a good bracketologist versus a not good bracketologist. It's typically not the right teams getting in. It's teams being close to where they actually are seated. Okay. So for, th- for this discussion, I don't care about where they're seated. Fair. When it comes to bubble watch stuff, it's not about where is team seated. It's, it's, are you going to be accurate when predicting who gets in and who doesn't? And that's where I want this conversation to go. Because right now in the Big 12, um, TCU is in barely. Uh, they continue to slip and slide. And we knew their schedule was going to get harder, but they've lost three in a row, four of their last five. And we'll talk about their gauntlet stretch coming up here in a second. Oklahoma's on the outside looking in now. Iowa State looks like, I think Iowa State's pretty good. And Jamie and I talked about this before we hopped on. Not to ignore Iowa State. I think Iowa State, with a couple of wins they've grabbed, with what they have left, four games, two home, two road. Um, because every road win, in the Big, every road game in the Big 12 remains a quad one, I think if Iowa State just wins the two home games against West Virginia and Oklahoma State, which would be quad two at home, even if they lose at West Virginia, or, or I think it's at Kansas State and at Baylor, even if they lose the two row games, it's two quad one losses. Don't take the quad two losses. I think Iowa State's pretty at this point, they'd finish seven and nine. Or no. My math is don't don't do not math. Seven and eleven. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Sunday night. Um, I think they're good. So I'm gonna I'm almost like well willing to take Iowa State up the bubble watch at this point until they like lose three of the next four. Here's my question before we dive into Oh, you can't state TCU. Can we take West Virginia off of a watch? Are they far enough gone at 69 in the net, at 66 in Ken Palm, at not even on like the next four, next four out from what I can tell from everybody. And with the, the five games they have left on the schedule, that TCU at Iowa State, Texas at Oklahoma and home for TCU. Can we just remove West Virginia from the bubble? Because at this point, until they win, They've lost three in a row, and what did we say? Was it seven of their ten of their last eleven? Until they actually like win a game, I'm nowhere near putting them back on. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean we had this discussion. I don't disagree. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things too. Like if if you look over at Bracket Matrix, which is like the collection of all the different bracketology, um, West Virginia appears, but only on three brackets, and I think that those are probably ones that just haven't updated yet after stuff that happened last week. Like, I think it's like a couple of the ones that are weekly and they update like Monday mornings or something like that. So, um, yes, theoretically, like they could go on a, on a huge run and maybe get themselves back in the bubble conversation. But that would assume that they actually have the capability of going on a huge run in a big 12. That's absolutely brutal. Um, I don't think that's possible. Yeah, three, point, and that's by so. the way, that's three out of 119. This right. Mac runs 119 different brackets. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm literally, I think it's important. They're on three of them. So yeah. we're taking West Virginia off until they like. <laughs> and, until they three? win out. Yeah. Three. Okay. Yeah. And, and, um, until they win out and win the Big 12 tournament, I think we're taking them off of bubble watch. Kansas State is on, Oklahoma is on 67 of 119. Um. Hold on, I'm looking for TCU. TCU actually is on 114 of them um, with an average seed of 9.54. So there's a lot of people that think that they are safely Almost a 10 in. seed. Okay. Again, they are on the... Well, we're talk, let's talk TCU. Let's just do it. I've been kind of yeah. teasing it for a minute. Uh, we mentioned lot, most of the teams have four games left. West Virginia and Kansas have five. TCU, because of games that had to be postponed, has to play six games in 13 days. Starting Monday, they will play six games in 13 days. And let me read them to you. Sandwiched in the middle of a home game at West Virginia to lead this off and a road game at West Virginia to finish it are at Texas, home for Texas Tech, home for Kansas, and at Kansas. They have lost three of their last four. You have West Virginia, who is arguably at this point the worst team in the Big 12, and then 
three, four games against three of the best four. I know they're comf- they seem to be mostly comfortably in. And look, only the home game against West Virginia on Monday isn't a quad one game. That's a quad two. Everything else, barring West Virginia falling out, uh, falling into so far down the net that they are no longer quad one if you beat them on the road or play them, this is a gnarly schedule for TCU. Like, this is a very difficult schedule. Not even mentioning you're playing six games in 13 days. How much gas are you actually going to have in, left in the tank by the time you get to that game at West Virginia to wrap this all up on March 5th? So, I mean, that's that's six games is a 30-year conference season. It's a 30-year conference season in less than two weeks. I mean, I said, I said when we were talking about this before we recorded, getting out of that without losing a major player to an injury is a success. Like, that's – there's a reason why – College is not scheduled in that way. And it, it frankly, it's dangerous. Like, I don't like that that's occurring, period. I get the necessity, but it's not good. I I mean, there's, oh, you know, it's, it's consequential for the race and all that. But it's, I mean, it's really dangerous. And it's going to be kind of scary to watch some of those games near the end. I, I will think. take issue, though, with saying that this is essential. Because, look, the Big 12, like... You look at when those games were canceled. It was the yeah. beginning of the year, like the beginning of the conference schedule. You can't tell me that there was not a time in the last month and a half where we could have had three games in one of those weeks for TCU. So that way they didn't have to have so the women's side. Right, so they done. didn't have to have back to back weeks where they're playing three games in a week. Like this is on the conference yeah. office. Like I wasn't happy about Kansas having to play back to back. And I understand for like scheduling it's a lot easier to like squeeze you in, you know, into a week where you have uh, another game against that team. And like, it, it helps with traveling and, and theoretically, at least it helps with a lot of that stuff in terms of scheduling and trying to get all that pulled together. But I, I'm sorry. I just do not believe that there was not an opportunity for, you know, TCU to come up to KU. Um, or actually, I guess it would have, yeah. For, for, for TCU to come up to Lawrence earlier this season on a, you know, on like a Thursday when Kansas, played the Monday game and TCU played the Tuesday game or something like that. Like there was plenty of opportunities for them to find other spots to do this so that we're not having a TCU team that has to play six games in less than 14 days. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm curious how much of it's on the Big 12. Oklahoma State and Texas Tech's Big 12 opener got delayed because of COVID, but they made it up like two weeks later. Like they right, got exactly. that one done. I was going to say, Quick. I don't know that it's all, I don't think it's all the I, league. I'm curious how much of it's on the league. I don't think the, the league, league looks at it and yeah. says, this is when you play. And how much of it's on the other teams the that TCU now has to deal with this. I, I almost want to, I can't remember. I need to go find the original schedule. Cause I don't remember. Like, like I, I really have to wonder like how much of this is on the league. I don't know. And how much of this is on TCU or the opponents that they have, that this is now being crammed at the end. Because, for TCU, like, yeah, they, they look comfortably in on Patrick Matrix right now, but, like, six games in 13 days. A lot can change in a third of the conference can, can you You better pull off the ones early because by the time you get to the end of this, your legs are dead. Like, you're, you're not – that's that's Your margin for error is so low by those last games. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I will agree. I am curious how much of that is the schools had to actually reschedule it or the Big 12 is rescheduling it for them. Because if, if it is the Big 12 that does the schedule uh, or the rescheduling, then then sure, all of sure. it falls on them. But, like, because, like, yes. I'm looking and, yeah, theoretically you could have had, like, KU and TCU play before the Big 12 SEC Challenge game, like – they had a spot right there on that Thursday they could have done. There's a lot of other opportunities just looking at the way that their schedules line up where they could have done it, but for whatever reason they didn't. But to your point about like TCU now with this, like they have to win both of those games against West Virginia. And I think they have to steal one of those four games in the middle there for them to feel comfortable going into the Big 12 tournament. Like if they can, if they can do that, go three and three the rest of the way and go into the Big 12 tournament, two games under 500 in the conference then yeah, it'd be great for them to win one. But I, I still think that they that would be enough of a marquee win for them and no no bad losses that they could feel comfortable at having an at-large bid at that point. Obviously, that could change with you know other teams making deep runs in their conference tournaments. But like I think a TCU fan would have to be happy at that point. Because that, that really is about all you can expect at this point, that you either steal one against Texas Tech or steal one against Kansas at home. They're 5-7 and seven in conference play. So something to point out, 
and I know it's a little bit different, but if they just win two and Iowa State goes two and two, they'll end up with the same conference record Iowa State and TCU, which is crazy to say. Now, Iowa State's better non-conference slate, obviously. TCU doesn't really schedule well in non-conference. Sorry that you guys don't, okay? You don't. You don't schedule challenging non-conference slates. Um, they are seven and eight in quad one and two combined. Like that's pretty much the same as Oklahoma and Kansas State, just about. Uh, they have to beat West. They have to win both West Virginia games, and I I think that's going to be a tall task to ask of them at the end of the season, at the end of this run. I think that's going to be a big task to ask of them to do is say, hey, yeah, we'll we're gonna we're gonna on that the fifth on the Saturday after playing. Five other games in just good grief. Like for TCU, like their their postseason is is this is dangerous, and the injury point, Jamie, is is very accurate. Like I hope they survive it, and I hope they make the tournament because if they can make the NCAA tournament and come away with at least if they could come away with three wins out of the stretch, good grief, that'd be incredible. That would be incredible for them. Uh, so that's that's bubble watch for them. Uh, Kansas State. This is the one like Oklahoma's kind of falling back. Kansas State's the one who seems to be clawing their way into it as opposed to Oklahoma and TCU who are falling out of it. Kansas State fans are all like they got a lot of hope. They got a lot of hope. Four games left. At Kansas, Iowa State at home, at Texas Tech, and Oklahoma. It's not a, it's not easy. Your two home games are against two other teams. I mean, Iowa State needs to win games. Uh Oklahoma's going to be desperate. But looking at this, for Kansas State, I, realistically speaking, they're 60 in the net, they're 54 in Ken Palm, going by bracket matrix, they are only currently in 16 in bracket. Now this is, remember, this is in bracket. This isn't like Lenardi where he does his next four, his, you know, first four out and next four. They're still in the next four for Lenardi. They're only in 16 brackets. I don't know that two and two and one big 12 tournament win is going to be enough to push them into the bracket. Unless a whole lot of other chaos happens. I think for Kansas state with where they are, I think they're going to have to get three of these. And I know that's probably not fair because they're at six and eight, two and two, you'd be what, eight and 10. That's, that's, that's one game out of uh, below 500. That should be pretty good, but their non-conference record is not great. Like they didn't they didn't do a great job in non-conference. That Wichita State win that was pretty good is failing them now. They're a combined, what, seven and twelve in one and quads one and two. And I know everyone wants to cry about, well, look at us in Oklahoma. Like there's other things that go into net rankings than just who you beat. There's a lot of metrics to play into. Don't ask me what they are. Nobody knows what they are. They're not clear on that on purpose. Okay. Like I talk to people who do this for a living, they're like, who the who the who the hell knows? Uh yeah. For Kansas State, looking at it, I gotta be honest. I think they have to win three of their last four to feel like they've done enough to edge to 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 jump up into it. Because again, it's not just like we just win two games and like you need other things to happen around you. If you want to control your destiny, you win out. But you've got to win three of the next four to me. It's actually kind of funny because I would almost feel better about you know if Kansas State went two and two, I would almost feel better if a team like TCU were to jump them in the conference standings. So that way their first game in the big 12 tournament would be against a Texas tech or Baylor. So that if they get that win, that's the marquee win that they need as opposed to against Texas, because I can tell you right now, if, if your win in the big 12 tournament is against Texas, it's not going to be regarded as highly as a win against either Texas tech or Baylor at the, at, you know, at that two or three seed. And so it's one of those things where, you either want Kansas State to go on a big run, you know, and win the next four, um, or if like we're operating under the assumption that they go two and two and they get the one win in the Big Twelve tournament, they're actually better served by dropping out of the five seed that they're in right now, which is kind of crazy to think that Kansas State's the five seed in the Big Twelve tournament right now. Um, like they're almost better dropping down to that six seed so that their opponent is better, so that the win gets regarded higher to potentially push them in if that's the only thing that they get. It's a weird position to be in, I think, right now. Um, but you're right. Like the easiest way to, to, you know, take care of all this is to get that win against Kansas on Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, I, I think they can beat Iowa State and Oklahoma at home. 
And that's the tough part is the, the, the two where you would like the help to get the win, the big upset win, and Kansas and Texas Tech are both on the road. So it, it's going to make it that much harder to get that third. And that also means, like, you, you, in theory, the two easier games in Iowa State and Oklahoma are at home. You can't drop one of those. Can you pull off an upset on the road? Like, I just, I don't know. I I know Kansas State fans have a lot of hope. They're very excited, yada, yada. Uh, I, I don't think they're as close to in as I think some Kansas State fans are hopeful of. I want Kansas State in. Let me just prep, make sure everyone understands this because I get someone with, you don't like the Big 12. I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I want like 10 teams in. Like I, I want to be in men's basketball so good they treat us like the SEC and softball. It's like, yeah, just get the whole conference in. Someone's five games below 500, it's fine. They could be a four seed in a regional. It doesn't really matter. Just put them in there. Like That's where <laughs> I want the Big 12 to be, okay? So understand, I don't want Kansas State to not make it. I don't want West Virginia. I want all nine teams that are eligible to play in the postseason, screw you, NCAA, uh, to make it to the NCAA tournament. It's not realistic, and at this point, even seven's becoming dangerous because of the way that TCU and Oklahoma are playing. Yeah, look, I look. want TCU, Oklahoma, and Kansas State to all get in. I don't know at this point that they're gonna, but I'm really hoping they all find a way to do so. Just because we want all the the Big 12 teams to be in doesn't mean we're gonna blow smoke up your ass and pretend like it's actually gonna happen. The Sorry. Kansas State Wildcats, they should be in. There's no way that they should be left. We, no one Their on, resume is not that good, folks. No one on this podcast is Paul fine, Feinbaum. Sorry. I... Okay, no, no, I, I, sorry, but I was trying to watch Kansas versus Texas A&M in softball on Friday, and I was told it was on the SEC network. So I unfortunate, I had the unfortunate, um, quote-unquote, pleasure of watching Paul Feinbaum for 30 minutes before I realized, no, it's on, e, or on the SEC network plus, not on the actual SEC network. So I was sitting there, I was like, I'll just have this on because, you know, they're going to switch over to the game shortly here. And no, unfortunately, I had to listen to him for a lot longer than anybody should have to. You kept waiting. Man, you sat for thirty minutes and watched Fine Bomb. I didn't really like sit there and watch. I it think, was on in the background while I was working, and I was that's like, still longer than I yes. think I've ever even had him on a TV in my presence. I know my entire life. Like, don't get me wrong, I've listened to like thirty seconds of one of the crazy like Alabama guy callers in, and. I, if you just want to put a compilation of those, I don't actually listen to Fine Bomb. I'm happy to listen, but I mean, I've I've listened to sports radio in Oklahoma before. It's not that unique, okay? There's there's those people in every state of every fan base of every everything. It's really fun when you get one that's like a high school fan. You're like, really, dude? You're this worked up about high school wrestling? Cool, man. You do you. Hey, whatever your passion is, that's great. But uh, it's two o'clock on a Tuesday. Maybe go to work. Just, sir this um, is wendy's that's what people think about everything i've ever done don't you have to work my answer is mm, sometimes kinda. i'm making jewelry shut up uh, <laughs> i'm making jewelry i'm creating a comedy class i'm calling women's basketball games all right we get it you do a lot jamie all right but not a nine to five brag much um just that's- kidding <laughs> Uh, I want all the Big 12 teams to get in. And the next two weeks are going to be a ton of fun. A ton of fun. Um, We are not... I was thought about getting a Bracketology guest on. I believe Christine is going to be working on that for the Midwest Madness show for this week. If not this week, the next. So make sure you are subscribed to Midwest Madness. Christine's doing she a great a job. She is a really good guest this week. <gasps> Probably the best possible. Don't spoil it because we don't want it to not happen. That is the way it works here on the... It, it's for sure it it is andy you happens. understand what's happening right you you understand this bit <laughs> yeah now he does <laughs> i do okay now he, now he does okay i'm booked and busy this week <laughs> i just, said that on her we're show. just lucky to be here to be able to get jamie once a week like it's a it, we understand how how special we are that she gives us. Gosh, if if anyone else wanted to have me on their podcast this week, they'd probably have to what? really ask. Uh, well, I was gonna say, Jamie is Jamie's like the the ten twelve network mascot now because she's jumping around to so many of the the ten twelve podcasts. So, uh, if anybody is a that likes is a graphic designer who can design actual like animated mascot style logo things, and would like to do one of Jamie, we would really appreciate that. 
that would be fantastic. We can send you photos <laughs> of Jamie's face, whatever helps uh, make that happen, uh, because that would be that would be amazing. And we would plaster it on T-shirts and sell them, and we might give her a cut. We might have to. We might do that. I'm kidding. Uh, speaking of uh, selling T-shirts, Home t-shirt Field Apparel. The most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere. That one happened purely naturally. I did not set that up. I'm yeah, really exactly. Proud of You're right. I am going to pat myself on the back for it. Well done. Thank you. Uh, I'm not going to praise them for their Illinois release because Illinois, Illinois, Illinois whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to praise. I'm not going to talk nicely about Illinois. I don't have to. Or any Big Ten team for that matter. But they do have a ton of Big 12 schools. A bunch of Big 12 schools. They got Baylor and Iowa State and Texas and Texas Tech, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, future schools including BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston. And a Big 12 school that's coming soon. Shh. They have more than 100 schools available with the most comfortable t-shirts, sweaters, and hoodies with the best vintage logos. These are designed by people who love college sports, love college football, love college basketball. These are college sports fans making the kind of shirts that college sports fans want to wear. If you've never been to the site... Are you maybe you're new to this to listening to us? Maybe you're just like, no, I do not listen to podcast advertisements. I immediately start skipping forward 15 seconds and just ignore it. Hey, you know what? You're missing comedy gold here. I mean, and our promo code of network 12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, would get you 15% off your first order. All orders of $100 or more get free shipping. No, I know it's not comedy gold. That was a backhanded slap at myself. I get it. I'm only funny to some people, and it's primarily my two small children. Even they don't laugh at all of my jokes, so I'm fine. Okay, uh, but but seriously, ad reads half the time are the most entertaining part of the podcast. I'm going to be completely honest here. We'll, we'll get you enrolled in my class when it's Oh, <laughs> uh, can I just... See can, what I, I mean? Will, I, I can't be there. I will only be... Like, you just get to bring a laptop and set it it's up. It's online. Oh. It's all online. That's what I, that's what I'm doing. Man, only on only on the 1012 podcast can you have one ad read transform into a future ad read for something completely different. Jamie <laughs> will be advertising your improv class. I would say yeah, I take that, that back. I can, I can think of a couple other podcasts oh. where that happens, but that's better than I can't is stand up better than improv? Yeah, we've Homefield Apparel. Homefieldapparel.com, 15% off for store <laughs> network 12. Uh go shop. Uh, is home is 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 stand up better than than uh, improv? I don't know. It's not better. It's different. I've done both. No, I mean like like people you know like literally sitcoms and things will make jokes about like he's in a what class improv? Like improv oh, is like the butt of jokes. Well, things. improv improv's more accessible. Like a lot more people do improv. But is that like, because like you don't actually have to be good at it to do it? I mean, I'm not being I'm not I'm not being a jerk. Like I'm seriously just improv is more like multiple people doesn't like working off of each other. Improv at its core is collaborative, and it like technically it. I mean, you're improvising. It doesn't have to be funny. It's it's generally supposed. to It works better if it is funny, but. Stand again, up's stand up doesn't have to be funny either, but again, it works better if it is. <laughs> well, stand up is stand up comedy. Yeah. Improv is improvisation. Oh, I thought it was literally a class comedy. about standing up, like you do with old people <laughs> helping them build core strength so they don't fall over so much. Oh, Phillip, you're already getting don't, it. Don't you're, quit your day you're job, You're so close. <laughs> uh, you will find me at the Funny Barn this Saturday, just in Sheboygan. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course, the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone family. Join me, Jamie Steyer Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone family podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure, this is one family reunion you won't want to miss each week on the Cyclone family podcast. Welcome one, welcome all, and yes, I want you to be listening to the Tortillas and Tanks podcast presented by 1012 Network. If you are a fan that is of a team that has 12 wins going to the national championships every year, that just loves to talk about all the success that your program has had, well, then you're probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you are a fan that just likes to really be in it every week, 
and, and really have a real good shot at winning it, you're also probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you have really high highs and really low lows and really drink quite a bit, you might be a Texas Tech fan. So come along and party with us here at Tortillas and Takes. We're going to sit back, crack open a cold one, eat some tortillas, and, and as always, we're going to stay wrecked, people. Okay, let's switch to the women's side real quick here. Um, here's the conversation I want to have. A few weeks ago, we talked about Aoka Lee. She's the leader in the clubhouse. Big 12 player of the year on the women's side. It felt pretty good. According to her herb stats, she's still number two in win share nationally. Um, and a good... Melissa's uh, gaining on her. She came out of the top 10 as back in. She's... Just about 1.2 uh, points behind Ioka Lee at this point. Um, look, to me, player of the year tends to, seems like the, the basis for what we're going to go on. Who's the best player, right? Like, who is the best player? Who's just the best player, period, in the Big 12 this year? Versus maybe, like, who is the player who their team would be nowhere near this good without, Right. And yeah. I do think that's the conversation we have here with Melissa Best Smith. Best and most impactful are different. And I think, and no offense to, to Ashley Jones, it does feel like it's becoming, is she, Jamie, is she still in this or is this becoming a two team, two horse race? Between Aoka Lee and Melissa Smith? Yes. Without Ashley? No. Okay, good. Okay. Jamie, Here's my question. Jamie because looked offended Ash, by the fact that you would even I'm, ask that. I am, I, I'm asking questions for clarification to make sure I don't say something wrong. Because I'm I asking make questions sure. because I was pulling up a web page, and so I... Because you know, here's why. To me, Ashley Jones and Aoka Lee are the more impact, most impactful versus Melissa Smith, who you would argue is the best player. That that feels like where if you're going to categorize the current uh, leaders in the clubhouse for this award, that's where they would fit. Which typically, when the Baylor player wins, like sometimes they're the most impactful. A lot of times, it's just the, that's just the best player in the league, right? They're gonna whatever. That's where this feels right now, and so I, I thought that with the way Kansas State season has kind of been drifting these last few weeks. Since we had this conversation, because Kansas State has lost two of their last three and three of their last five, is Aoka still like, doesn't matter because of what she has done, because of the record-setting game, because of the impact she has for Kansas State, she's still the leader here? Or is this a true three-player race at this point? I shouldn't have said horse. Sorry. Three-player race. Yeah. No, I mean, that that was like more my reaction is that Aoka Lee and Kansas State have not been great lately. I mean, she's had some really good games. She's had some not great games, too. And and so that's... You can't fall off like that and probably still win player of the year. She'll be in it. She might get a vote or two. But, it, I mean, obviously she'll be K-State's nominee. You know, each team gets a nominee. Didn't know that till recently. I had I had I had some inner workings explained to me that each team gets a nominee. So Baylor's had stuff in the past where like you had to decide if you were gonna put up like Lauren Cox or someone, you know, and so it gets kind of hairy. So that's interesting to me. A uh, little peek behind the curtain. But um, no, uh, I mean Aokali's definitely dropped down, uh, dropped down the rankings. And so what you have now is. Nalissa Smith is ahead of Ashley in points, rebounds, percentage. Um, part of that is Ashley Jones did not shoot a great percentage from the floor in non-conference. I don't have it pulled up right in front of me for conference play, but she's very close to 50% in conference play. Like, that's a really big jump, and so you definitely have to look at that as like not just your overall stats but your conference stats as well and so she's certainly still in the race um like i said the women's side is maybe more impacted by how your team is and so 
a lot of that comes down to who ends up winning the Big 12. So if Iowa State wins it, Ash has has a chance. If Iowa State doesn't, then, I mean, it pretty much definitely goes to Nalissa Smith. And it's pretty much down to those two. Even even if I know Kansas still has a chance. Like, I, I talked with Andy earlier about, oh, they might play spoiler. No, they're in the race still. Yeah. But even, even if they ended up winning it, then I think it still goes to Nalissa Smith because they don't have anyone in the top of any of those scoring, rebounding, percentage, blah, any of those categories. So even then, you you finally kind of get away from the best player on the best team, which is a lot of times the formula for the women. Yeah, side. I mean, I, I think to be seriously considered, you have to not only be the best player on the best or one of the you know top two or three teams, but you also have to have a clear separation, I think, from the rest of the roster for the yes. most part. And and that's where yeah, that's, fair. that's where like Ayoka Lee, she's clearly far and away the best player on Kansas State. Um Ashley Jones is is fairly close to like, you know, that big gap. Maybe not quite as much as some of the other players, but but she's definitely the best player. Game to right. game, yeah. Um there's a lot of other people that can be right behind yeah. her, but not always the same. Whereas Baylor players typically get a bit of a boost from the rest of the team to help get, you know, the first criteria being one of the best or being the best player on the best team. There's usually not as much of a gap for Baylor players as opposed to the rest of the team, like in terms of the best player versus everyone else. But usually that team is so great that it kind of boosts the chances. Um, I do agree with you. Like if, if, if Kansas were to somehow find a way to win the conference, um, even, you know, and even more magically win it outright. Like it's hard to imagine that's even a possibility, but it is mathematically a possibility. There is nobody on Kansas who is far and away their best player. They've had so many players step up this year and have a game that like it's their game. You know, Chandler Prater's had a game where she was the main person. Iowana Katsileonti, I finally got it. Oh my gosh. Ser- go. Seriously. But no, like she had, you know, the game against Texas Tech. She was phenomenal in that game. Tiana Jackson's had a great game. Holly Kurzgeeter, Sakaya Franklin. Like they've had so many players that have had a game where they are the main person, the main focus. But there's nobody on the Kansas roster that stands out. But Nalissa Smith stands out for sure. Ioka Lee stands out for sure. Ashley Jones stands out for sure. Those are the three. And that's why they are because they're on good teams that have been good teams for the majority of the year. And they are far and away the best player on their team. Yeah. I'm looking at Ioka's numbers of last ever, ever since the 61 point game, 2012 or 2021, 12, 31, 8, 18, 7. Her shooting percentages. It's just very up and down. Yeah. And, and a lot of that comes with the matchup. As well as yeah. the second round through, you show whether you have more dimension to your game. Which, And again, that's not meant to be a slight oh, whatsoever. No. But once a team sees you once and they can adjust their scouting report, it's about whether you can be better than the other team's players plus their preparation, which is a lot more impactful once you've already seen them and played against them once. Right. I mean, that's when, what I think what you saw with Iowa State is they they really had a good idea of what they were doing the second time. The first time, they were trying something different during the first half. Didn't work great. They fixed it in the second half. The second time around, they knew what they wanted to do from the get-go. And that's really been the issue for Kansas State this year is they don't have a plan B. If plan yep. A doesn't work, they don't have somewhere else to go. They don't have enough experience throughout the rest of that roster to really be able to pivot in game and go away from Ioka Lee to then open things back up for, you know, Kansas, the, the game against Kansas where, um, you know, when, when Kansas played Ioka Lee really well, when, when Tyana Jackson was playing well, you know, Kansas state really didn't do much. Tyana Jackson got into foul trouble and Ioka Lee was able to kind of exert her will and do what she wanted to a lot more. And they made a huge run. And then Tyana Jackson comes back in the second half and shuts down Ioka Lee for a good portion of that game again. So like, Kansas State is a team that does not have a lot of other options, and it's been a lot easier this second time around for people to kind of stop what she's doing. The teams that are the most successful right now have very clear star players, but also have a lot of really good supporting cast that can kind of shift the burden around and can pivot as needed to be able to take advantage of matchups or take advantage of overplaying by the other teams to try to shut down their main option. Well, and, I, and I think just Kansas State versus Baylor, round one versus round two is a perfect encapsulation of this. I mean, 
Aoka Lee, when they faced off the first time back on December, January 2nd, 32 points, 10 rebounds, shot 68% from the field, uh, four block shot, or, uh, what was it? Uh, two blocks. Um, then you look at Melissa Smith in that game. 12 points, 33% shooting, seven rebounds. Now look at round two. Back on the ninth, Aoka Lee, eight points, 37% shooting, six rebounds. Like, Meanwhile, Nalissa Smith, 20 points, 10 rebounds, 55%. Like, oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, 22 points, seven rebounds, 75% shooting. Like, it was a pretty big flip between round, game one versus game two when these two faced off. I, I just, and you look at, at Nalissa, like, she's trending upwards in what she's been doing in games. Her shooting percentage is consistently, since the, since the start of the month, pretty much, is. All upper fifty, all fifty percent and up. Aoka's is up and down. Like it's very much a reverse of. They, it's almost they've they flipped, as to how the seasons have gone. Of to Aoka Lee started great and she's starting to slip a bit. Nalissa started a little off and she's, she's a machine at this point. And and that's the big. I concern. mean, yeah, and Nalissa Smith. I mean, a lot of it has to do with her decision making too. Is earlier on in the season, I think that the team was still getting used to having a new coach. The coach was getting used to the team, and so now they kind of know who they are. Man, she was chucking up a lot more threes earlier in the season. I guess I don't have the statistics to back that up in front of me, but it seemed that way. At least she was not taking as good of looks, and now she's getting back to what she's really good at, which is slasher, penetrator, post up. You know, taking really good shots, and it's why she's gonna be the number one pick in the draft. I don't want to count Ashley out, and I do think you're right. And it always bugs me when it's like, who's the best player on the best te- on the team that won the league? Great, they're the player of the year. And like, I, I get it. And some things I think it's appropriate. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, but you know, they were the best player surrounded by a ton of talent versus the player who had to do everything. Whatever. Um, the end of this season, the race at the end of the season with Baylor, Iowa State, and Kansas. And it's it's so interesting how, like, it's been – it was Iowa State and Oklahoma, and here comes Baylor. And then now it's Baylor and Iowa State, and here comes Kansas. And then for Val, here was coming Texas. Like, Baylor sits at 11-3. Iowa State's 11-3. Kansas is one game back. Oklahoma and Texas are both two games back. Kansas State's three games back. And I do think Kansas State is out of it, but that's yeah. so tight. Yeah. That's so incredibly tight. I – man – it it's gonna be really fun. Like I almost feel like the the last few weeks of the women's side is gonna be more interesting from a because Kansas has a two game lead on the men's side, but they're gonna have to lose. Like that that feels more likely like it's over. This is far from over with two weeks to go. Well, the men has a front runner. Yes, women don't. Well, and not only that, not only that, but you look at the women's side and every single team that's up at the top of the conference. The top three has has at least two or three games against each other. Mm-hmm. Like Kansas is playing all four of the uh, games they have left are against front runners in the conference that still have a shot to actually win the conference. So like the la- the the schedule serendipitously is very backloaded to have a lot of gigantic matchups at the end of the season. Whereas you look on the men's side, there's not nearly as many of those. Like Kansas only has a game at Baylor and then a game at home against Texas at the very end of the season. Um, you know, the other, the other, teams that are kind of in the race at this point don't have a lot of high tier matchups. A lot of those came in the last couple of weeks. So yeah, it's definitely fortunately very backloaded, obviously helped by the fact that there's just so many teams in the race. When you have, you know, six teams that are within three games of the conference lead with four games to go. Um, well, I mean, and, and even really you look at it, Oklahoma and Texas, you know, two games back. So you have five, like half of the conference is within two games. And I think, I think two games is a realistic amount, given how many games there are against the other top teams in the conference. Like I I could see Baylor losing two games, you know, with, with who they have to play. If Kansas is able to sneak one against them, you know, on Saturday, that opens up a lot of opportunities for a lot of other teams. You know, Baylor doesn't have a, an easy road. I still think that Baylor is probably at this point the favorite, just given the way that they're playing at this point, the way that they're surging. But I would not be shocked at all if Baylor dropped two games throughout the rest of the season with who they have to play. Yeah, I mean, and to the last point I'll make on the player of the year race, that ending of the season being so loaded, you get the potential for, you know, there's 
probably always a little bit of recency bias of, okay, how did you perform in these last few games of the season if someone has had really incredible performances and it's in really impactful games. So if Nalissa Smith or, frankly, Ashley Jones average 30 points over four games and win all of them and end up taking the title outright, then that puts a really clear degree of separation in, okay, this is how you can point at it and say, there's your player of the year. And so there's, I mean, there's, there's validity to some of the recency bias that can be shown here at the end of the season when these games are some of the biggest all season. Cause like you said, you've got Iowa state, Baylor, Kansas, all three of those, the teams who I think are definitely in the race still to go two games back. You'd have to have some kind of funky losses in there, but those three are the ones that are truly the biggest in the title race. And all three of them play each other. They all play the other two teams. Right. Yeah. Like those three, there's like a round robin left between the top three teams in the big 12 right now. Man, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, Let's wrap up with a couple of things from around the rest of the conference. I'm trying to do a better job of doing my best. Men's tennis, TCU. Good grief. I believe they got a win over Ohio state. Number one team. Like TCU men's tennis right now is playing lights out and Texas is good as always, but like TCU Bravo boys, Bravo, Bravo. Uh, baseball and softball are going strong. Look, Oklahoma, I think might be better this year in softball than they were last year. And they won it all and lost like two games, the regular season, three games total all year. This Oklahoma team might be better. It's stupid. Good. And they brought in a bunch of young talent who just was like, Oh, you guys lost some people. Well, we brought in some better ones. Great. Uh, great. OSU a little bit disappointing this weekend. Baylor got a nice win over Oregon at home. Um, softball side, really interesting. This one feels like it's Oklahoma. Texas has been disappointing. OSU disappointed in Tampa. Uh, Iowa State's been pretty good, but they had a weird weekend. They were supposed to go to New Mexico and didn't because of some issue with travel. And so they went going to D.C. for four games against four whatever teams. Iowa State with a nice 6-1 and one start to the season so far. Congrats to them. Baseball got started this weekend. Um, Texas with a nice 3-0 start with Rice. They look very good. There's a reason they were picked number one in the preseason. They look like it so far. West Virginia's got a game Monday uh, against Coastal Carolina, but they started 3-0 at the baseball at the at the beach. We'll see how they perform on Monday if they can start 4-0. Very nice. Oklahoma State went on the road to pretty much like consensus number one or number two preseason Vanderbilt and took two of three games. Hello. Way to go, Oklahoma State. Bravo. Uh, teams who went out to, to Globe Life Field, Oklahoma, let's see, as of right now, they're leading Michigan in their game. They went one and one in the other two. Texas Tech had a freaking awesome walk-off win over Michigan. If you have not seen it from Friday, you should go check it out. It was pretty, Look, walk-offs in baseball, Like I, I get not loving baseball. It's okay. I'm not like a massive baseball fan. I'm not going to pretend like I am. But walk-offs in baseball and softball are freaking awesome. Someone hits a walk-off, you're just like, oh, they're coming around third plate, and there's the crowd ready to meet him. You just hope nobody gets hurt, but it's so exciting to watch. It's like, <whistles> the ball's gone. Oh, It's funny because a walk-off is the only sports moment that I can think of where the outcome has already been determined, but the anticipation of them actually crossing home plate and the celebration is going to happen after that. Like it, there, there's nothing like it. Nope. No, you're right. That's, that's, that's so true. It's such a cool thing. Like walk-offs are awesome. Who doesn't want to see a dog pile at the home plate? I, uh, Nazis. That's who doesn't want to see that. Nazis don't want to see that. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm sure there's a few that be like, if it happened to their team, they get really emotional, but like, eh, no one cares. You're a Nazi. So interesting weekend for the big 12. We will have plenty of softball and baseball talk later. Hey, hey wait a minute. You missed what? that Kansas went down to Corpus Christi and took two out of three from Illinois. They did. They did. Baseball. They sure did. They did. It was fantastic. Props to Kansas. Like, need the whole Big 12 to uh, step up. Uh, yeah. We'll have lots of softball. Uh, Melina should be back this Thursday. We're going to talk with her about softball, our new semi kind of correspondent. I don't know. She's awesome. Uh, we will have baseball talk. I will have a guest on Thursday. I don't know who that's going to be yet because so far no one I've reached out to has responded to me. Uh, Big 12 wrestling championships in two weeks. There's lots of baseball, softball, basketball. Ugh. I've said that like the November period where you have college football, NFL, 
uh, NBA and, and college basketball men's and women's going is like one of my favorite times of the year. And it is. I think right now might be as well. Like, there's so many, if you're a fan of college sports and you're a fan of like, I want to see my team do well in anything, like it's baseball, softball, men's and women's basketball coming down to the end of the stretch. Baseball and softball are kicking off. Tennis is going strong. Like if you just like college sports, literally every day you're like, I don't know, what am I going to do today? Not be productive because I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to watch sports on my TV. That's what I'm going to do. Jamie's like, that's what I do every day. Just kidding, Jamie. You are, you're the most like productive at a bunch of different things person that I know. And I mean that as an absolute freaking compliment because that's a lot of juggling, young lady. A lot of juggling. I haven't learned how to juggle yet, but maybe soon. That will be the 2023 class she will be offering. All right. Feels like a good rap. <laughs> juggling. Uh, Hit up 1012network.com, T-E-N, one, two, the word network. You will find all 11 podcasts in the 1012 network, the podcast network dedicated to the Big 12 Conference. Leave us a rating and a review, please. Five stars. Leave us a review. I haven't checked if I've gotten one recently. Last time I checked, I hadn't gotten one. I really want to read a new one on here. What do I got to do? What do you guys want? Hit me up in the DMs. Let's go. Let's go. Tell me what you want. You can DM us at... 1012 network on Twitter, T E N the number 12, the word network. 1012 pod on Instagram. Uh, shout to our friend uh, Cody Self. Let me make sure I get the last name right. I'm probably not going to, but I really am trying. Uh, Cody was awesome enough. He was down there for, yeah, it's Cody Self. He was down there at Globe Life on Friday for all three games. It was sending us pictures we were able to tweet out throughout the day. Thank you so much, Cody. I really appreciate it. He follows us on Instagram and likes to DM us. I do respond to messages, not like threats or hateful things. I mean, I might send you a middle finger emoji. I'll respond to those. Jamie handles that. Ja- Jamie is our complaint department. Um, <laughs> Jamie's like the ten twelve online bouncer. You you don't want you don't want JSJ <laughs> all up in her. your biz. You don't want JSJ up in your biz. Uh, been fun. Talk to you guys again on Monday. Show will be back here on Thursday. Everybody enjoy your week. Podcast Network.